Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Each year on Reformation Day, we reflect on Martin Luther, this man who changed not just Christianity, but world history. I remember growing up in high school and being so excited during AP World History when we talked about Martin Luther. I thought, hey, I know that guy. I'm familiar with him. We're going to talk about him in class. That's fantastic. And for good reason do we discuss Luther, because not only did he change Christianity, but through his challenging of the uh, Roman Catholic Church, the institution of the time, changed where, where, East, where uh, Europe and where the world was headed. And given that reality, we often discuss Luther as an academic, as a reformer, as a scholar, but far less so do we discuss Luther the pastor, at least from a popular level. A few years ago, on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, there was a documentary called Martin Luther, The Idea That Changed the World. And I thought, rightly, it got the center of the Reformation correct. It nailed the fact that the Reformation was actually a pastoral movement. It centered around the question of whether or not individuals could know they were righteous right before God and at peace with him. How could you be a good person was the question that resonated throughout that era. In fact, there are stories of Martin Luther wrestling with this exact problem, heading out of the confessional, having just gone through confession and absolution, and yet unsure if he had properly enumerated his sins or if he was actually forgiven. A pastoral concern, if ever there was one. And those questions, I think, still resonate today all those years later. How do we know that we are good people? How do we know we're right before God? How do we square what God says when it so often seems at contradiction or to contradict itself, right? God sets his law before us and tells us we must be perfect. And yet at the same time in Romans, we hear that there is no one righteous, no, not one. Building on this, how do we look around at the world around us, which is filled with so much suffering, so much sin, and so much hurt, and believe that God is still taking direct action in our lives? It seems impossible. And the same question resonated in the mind of Martin Luther. For Luther, these answers came through pastoral epistles, things like Romans and Galatians. Romans, of course, we read from just a few moments ago. And the reality is, The gospel was laid out concisely and quickly for Luther in those books. We do have a good God who created the world perfect. And yet, what did we do? Through use of our will, we bound ourselves to sin and were in need of rescue. And that's exactly what God does. He doesn't leave his people languishing in their suffering and in their hurt. Instead, he gifts us Christ Jesus free of charge. Christ Jesus, who enters into the very depths of our hurt, of our suffering, our darkness, and yes, he even enters into death on our behalf in order to bring light and life from those very places. This is the great exchange that Christ 
takes on our sin and yet awards us his righteousness freely given. And that's what prompts St. Paul in Romans, as we read from just a few moments ago, to say that we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, it's all about Jesus, that gift given free of charge for each and every person. See, it was very different in Martin Luther's time, right? The onus was upon you to prove that you had done enough works, that you were a good person, that you had cooperated with God's grace and worked your way toward him. Think of it as a bridge. God might build 75% of it, but you've got to work your way to that other 25%. And so the slogans of the Reformation, popular phrases meant to remind us about the central facts of Christianity, said this, that we're saved by grace alone, we receive this through faith alone, and we know this on the basis of Scripture alone. It's God's grace that saves us. Grace is what it is, freely given. That's what makes it grace, of course. Faith clings to this promise. Even as it's heard, we look to Christ Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So faith, too, is all about looking to Christ, not our own works and our own actions. And ultimately, the Reformation was a movement that encouraged people to return back to the words of Scripture. If we want answers, don't look to our own philosophies or our own counsels that make the truth be what we want it to be. Instead, return to God's words to find the truth of what he has to say. Now, again, that all sounds nice, right? It sounds like an academic debate, but it still doesn't answer the question, why was the Reformation necessary for individual people both then and now? And that's why I say we have to enter back into discussion with Luther, the pastor. You see, Luther knew that theology was not for the halls of academia, but rather theology, good theology, is worthy of proclamation. That in fact, the gospel is good news proclaimed to individual people, put into the words, uh, rather words, put into the mouths of everyday Christians as we proclaim the good news. What's the intended effect? That lost and condemned sinners would come to hear the good news that Christ Jesus has saved us through no merit of our own, but instead this is a gift freely given. God has declared us righteous because of what Christ has done, not because of what any one of us has done. So theology then is for proclamation, it's for preaching, it's for telling people the good news that they are cared for and by a heavenly Father who loves them dearly. That message is to be preached. And that's why, shockingly, at least when I discovered this, in Revelation, the Reformers said that angel passing overhead is Martin Luther, preaching the good news to everyday Christians. And I don't think we can go as far as to say that it is Luther. That is the church's task. We are to be a messenger, an angel, preaching the good news of hope in Jesus Christ to all people, all nations at all times, so that they would hear that Christ's Life, death, and resurrection has made them at peace with God and therefore at peace with one another. So we still preach that same message today. And I think it's more relevant now than ever. C.S. Lewis, in what I think is a prophetic book, The Abolition of Man, said that modern man has become uh, a series of men without chests. That we have really no virtue and valor. We don't know why we're living this life in front of us, what we're supposed to be doing, or who we are. But here's the thing. C.S. Lewis, while it's prophetic for us, 
was touching on themes that were hardly new. Martin Luther, in his preface to the small catechism, sounds remarkably similar to our friend C.S. Lewis. Here's what Luther said. The deplorable, miserable condition that I discovered recently when I too was a visitor has forced and urged me to prepare this small catechism or Christian doctrine in this small, plain, simple form. Mercy, dear God, what misery I beheld. The common person, especially in the villages, has no knowledge whatsoever of Christian doctrine. And unfortunately, many pastors are completely unable and unqualified to teach. Therefore, I beg you all, for God's sake, my dear sirs and brethren, who are pastors or preachers, to devote yourselves heartily to your office, have pity on the people who are entrusted to you to help us teach. So, what's the goal? What's Luther saying there? The church's mission is the same today as it was back then. Our work is to tirelessly, ceaselessly preach the gospel so that the church might give the beating heart of Christ to us who are without chests so often. Luther said that God is always super abundant with his grace, ready to distribute it. And that's exactly why we gather together in church, because it is within church where we receive the gifts that God freely gives week in and week out. Now, Luther, the pastor, says these gifts come in three forms primarily. The, pre- the preached word, holy baptism, which we had a baptism at the first service, and the Lord's Supper. The word part makes sense, right? In the beginning was the word. God created all things through the word, which is Christ Jesus. Not only did he create us through the word, but in fact, he's redeeming us through the word. Even as you are hearing the gospel, you are receiving faith in Christ Jesus. It's no wonder then that in John's gospel, he identifies Jesus as the word made flesh. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end. He is the beginning of faith its conclusion. So ultimately, our hope is grounded in the preached word that proclaims to us that the resurrected Christ is the place where we stake our hope upon, that we have resurrection hope. The preached word secures that hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, Luther, the pastor, also reminds us that God daily and richly forgives our sins. He washes us and makes us his own dear children through holy baptism. Here again what Luther has to say on baptism. He says, But here in baptism, there is freely brought to everyone's door such a treasure and medicine that it utterly destroys death and preserves all people alive. We must think this way about baptism and make it profitable for ourselves. So when our sins and conscience oppress us, we strengthen ourselves and take comfort and say, Nevertheless, I am baptized... And if I am baptized, it is promised to me that I shall be saved and have eternal life, both in soul and body. In Romans, St. Paul says that we have been baptized into Christ Jesus' death and therefore baptized into his resurrection. If Christ is risen from the dead, then our baptism guarantees us hope of resurrection life. I think we need that. We live in a culture of death and decay, of pain and suffering, pettiness and squabbling, And yet the Reformation message reminds us that through baptism, eternal life is even now yours. You have hope in the present moment. Finally, Luther reminds us to be strengthened by the Lord's Supper, to take part in that. 
For some of you who are gathered today, it's the first time you're taking First Communion, which is a wonderful gift and a joy. And I think it's miraculous what God is doing even now. If you look to the Old Testament, God was constantly feeding his people. He was giving them manna in the wilderness, right? Feeding them as they were aimlessly wandering, nourishing their bodies as well as their souls. And Christ is doing the same thing today. He is feeding us in the midst of our spiritual wilderness, drawing near to us in, with, and under the bread and the wine, which is Christ Jesus's body and blood. The reality is there are trials ahead for you guys, especially for our students taking First Communion. There's bound to be difficulty, right? High school is filled with hardship. When you get to college, life gets hard there too. When you're in the real world, life is difficult there as well. And yet there's no shortage of the healing that God provides in the midst of hurt. He freely gives us his gifts, his grace, where we can be nourished and fed by the bread of life, Christ Jesus. We don't have to wonder or worry about where God is or try to find him because he draws near to us in the divine service each and every week. That's the gospel, right? Christ Jesus feeding us his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins every time we gather together. I think if we took that seriously, we would miss everything else for what happens right here within the divine service. There we receive Christ's body and blood, freely given, free of charge, forgiving our sins, bringing us into peace with God and peace with one another. But in reality, it all comes back to the word, right? In this bread and wine stands Christ's mighty promise and word. It's by the word that you were created. It's by the word that you are even now sustained. And the word is going to be the thing which raises you from death to life. It's the word that draws near to you in, with, and under the bread and wine, which is Christ's body and blood. When you feel isolated, when you feel alone, when you feel hurt, God is ready to feed you, to nourish you, to care for you through the gifts that he provides within the Holy Christian Church. So what's the Reformation all about? I think we know the answer. It's about care for people. It's about Christ, our good shepherd, even now, tending to his saints as they are gathered together around the word and around his altar. The reality is this. The Reformation was about conserving the promise that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, and that is a gift given for you. You are loved by God. You are forgiven in Christ. You are cherished even now. Now, here it's the cool part, right? That God always does this through messengers, right? He did this in the Old Testament and the New through prophets, patriarchs, and apostles. He did it in, you know, the olden days with people like Martin Luther, a messenger of the gospel, bringing the good news to his saints. And even now, God is using messengers, pastors and teachers who proclaim to you the good news that Christ is risen, eternal life is now yours. And the challenge of the Reformation is that each and every one of you have been turned into a messenger with the same exact message. And that message is this, that Christ Jesus has been crucified, he has risen from the dead, and that gift is now yours. We carry it forward so we may proclaim the same peace and love of God into the lives of other people. As you have first received, now we freely give, calling people back to the principles of the Reformation, that you are saved by grace alone. You receive this through faith alone, and we know this because of the clear testimony of Scripture alone. That's what the Reformation is all about. Amen.
And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.